0: morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown through But I have this against all, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Morning, church. Yes, we want the other pastors here. We want the pastors do, and we have other leaders as well in life of the church. Uh, before we start up, let's say a word of prayer. We, we do that with you. Father, we pause and pray because we need you. We need a better word Father, from you that we have received, Lord. We need the lights of your countenance to shine upon us this morning. Lord, we need, we need to be changed by you. We need to return to you in places in our hearts where we have ran away. So will you come, Lord Jesus, as you walk among us, lead us in this time through your word, by the power of your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we began a new sermon series from Revelation. We'll be looking at the seven. Letters uh, from Jesus to the churches there in in Revelation. The churches there uh, called Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. They all are receiving this revealed word from Jesus that Jesus sends through a message through his messengers. And this is a word for the church for all seasons, actually. Because it is the revealed word of God. Word that he has made known to us. And the word that he continues to make known to us in terms of how we are to walk in the light of the Lord. How we are to walk in the world and relate to one another. Now sometimes we look at our personality and we think, this is how I'm made. This is how I shall make a basic right. of us. about me and maybe through a personality test that you have taken. I remember sitting down across from one of my friends, and we both share the same personality traits. And I remember him saying, you know, would you really tell me if, if there's something that uh, you need to confront me about? And the reason he said this, he, he realized we both are sort of like peacemakers. And that we would not rush in to confront or rush in to uh, stir up trouble, but kind of sit back and kind of, you know, walk with people to try to keep the peace. And that was a challenge because I didn't want to be the one to tell him the things that I really had on my heart. Neither did I want to be the one to tell him things that were on my heart in the harsh and the mean way. So that needs to be a balance, that needs to be wisdom and guidance from God's word, and even how we come to one another. You know, Dr. Phil Douglas, he's a professor at Emeritus, he wrote a book some, a while ago called, What is Your Church's Personality? Discovering and Developing the Ministry Style of Your Church. So this book is based upon some research that he did through his uh, doctorate work, And it profiles different types of descriptions of personalities that a church may have. And you can get some of these. That's kind of self-explanatory. There are eight of them. One is a fellowship church. Hard-working, orderly, conscientious, sensitive to the needs of people in general, and the members like each other, enjoy each other. Then there are the inspirational churches. They're uh, encouraging and supportive to their people. And they are about personal relationships, and these are ahead of ministry tasks. Then there are the relational churches, focusing on personal connections, values, opinions, personal interactions. Then, number four, entrepreneurial churches, drawn to opportunities that require them to anticipate the future and and, and create new approaches to life because they see the need and everything, and opportunity to try something different. Then there, are they strategize our churches that develop creative ideas and insights to initiate innovative transformation in the surrounding community through encouraging their people to develop their giftedness and give themselves sacrificially to ministry. Lastly, organize our churches like to solve complex problems in a methodical manner by using logical analysis to Teach their ministry programs, spot flaws, and, and make necessary changes that are complete that complete their ministry task efficiently. Then the Adventurer churches, adventurous churches respond quickly to issues in their midst and in the community around them by being action oriented. And then the expressive churches, friendly, outgoing, and communicating their love for people. As a means of motivating them to join in fellowship. So, what all these have in common with one another is that they're gathering a people that have a culture, a way of doing things, a way of uh, 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 a dynamic about them. They all uh, can be different, and some of these can overlap with others. But, what, what is the use of really knowing these personality traits of churches, of people? How do they really help? Of course, something like this can affirm, you know, strong points of who you are, assist with recognizing challenges. Those are really good things. Help with diagnosing, uh, church dynamics, and the like. But regardless of one's personality or the church's personality, God has given us a mission, and that is to put our faith in Jesus in light of what he's doing in the world. And sometimes we go off on that mission and we believe that life is about trusting our strength, our personalities, gathering with people that we believe love us, and that becomes our strength. And there are other things as well, but we see here through scripture that God has given us as a church a mission to come to Jesus and to outpour the love of Jesus to those around us. But sometimes it becomes hard to do because the church can become insolent. So on a navel this is who we are. This is what we do. This is how we do it. And so we see here, through this text, and through uh, Revelation in general, this book, that Jesus is the faithful witness of God. Jesus is the one who has given this revelation to the church and to these churches because this is the revelation the Bible says in Revelation one that he has received from God. So he receives the revelation from God, and he gives it to the church. Make known the to show them what is about to come. Make it known the will of God. Bring it all back in line with His purposes in the world, God's purposes in the, in the world. And Jesus is the one who writes to these churches to bring them some type of encouragement. For their, for their souls, for the life of the church, and to also bring them some type of correction that needs to be had, and also to, to remind them of his promise that he gives them. But Jesus is the faithful witness faithful of God. Verse 1 here of our text, So the angel of the church in Ephesus writes, The words of him who holds seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstanders so we see they're receiving this word from the messenger of God. They're receiving this word from Jesus himself. Jesus is the one who's holding the seven stars in his right hand. And these seven stars are the messengers that he sends out into his church to speak the word and together. And these seven golden lampstands are indeed the churches themselves that he has erected. And so where you have a golden lampstand, the Lord Jesus lights it, so it's light can be shown throughout the whole community. He's the one who tells us in Matthew 5, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good things and glorify your Father from heaven. Light begets light. Light from God, light from Jesus, light to the church, that they may shine brightly and, bright and walk in him. But well, see, Jesus is the one that's given this. Because Jesus is the one who's ensuring that his church moves forward in the mission that God has given us, Maybe this is to go to a family member. Maybe it's across cultures, across your hall. Maybe uh, across your desk at work. No matter what, he's saying, hey, you continue to be the salt and light of the earth. And Jesus' life never goes in, it never goes out. He's the bearer of that light, and he makes his people a light in the world. And that's what he did in Israel. That's when we get this image of the golden lampstand. There was one golden lampstand in the tabernacle, supposed to be lit at all times, and it's, it's sort of shaped almost like a like a tree, you know. And and the way that they were told to make it was after the pattern of an tree. And so we have this. This light shines, and it's meant to be to give life to those around us. So Jesus is here giving life to these churches, to us today, through the powers of His Word, through His Holy Spirit, so that we would have the forever light shining upon us, that we would not rely upon any other light except that. Why is this so important for the, the church of Ephesus? Well, it's important. Because this is a church that the Lord Jesus erected out of the dirt of the earth. He planted people in this church. He had God fears in this church. People like Priscilla and Philip, they're the ones that were present there, fearing God. And there was a Paul's there. They were fearing God. They had the Jesus of John the Baptist. And Paul, God sends Paul through there to tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul became a light to them. And he taught them. He stayed with them laboring the day and night to open up the scriptures to them. And that church began to grow. It established elders and other leaders. And this is a church that was erected in one of the major cities throughout the Roman Empire during that time. And Ephesus is the type of city where you want to be there. They had the great buildings, the statues. The statue of Artemis was made out of steel marble. It was one of the seven wonders in the world. People went there to pay homage to The dignitaries were there. You know, people, people rubbed shoulders with the best of them. They were all there. Ephesus was a city that had the Romans' roads running out through it like an artery to other cities in the region. Like these, these three churches here. Represent those those cities throughout Asia Minor, but Ephesus was the epicenter of these churches, and so it, it was vastly important to God that His light shines there because people were there, people that He showed His love to, that He wanted to know Him. People were, there. and it had a greatness, but it had darkness, and that's why God wanted His light to shine in that city. People gave themselves over to all kinds of atrophy, idol worship, all kinds of false uh, teachers came through here as well. There were so many things that you can give your heart and soul to, whatever faith of the. And so they thought of their city as being great. But the greatest thing was the life of Jesus who destroyed this city. And Jesus writes to them. And I want to suggest three things here in our hearing. Rest of our time. I want us to look at perseverance, problem, solution, and promise. Perseverance. And so we we see here in verse 2 the Lord Jesus comes to them by his word. And you see there, refuting the false apostles. He said, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. They're refuting the false apostles. Jesus said, I see you. I see how much you're working. I see the good that you're doing. I see the burdens that you're carrying, the turmoil in your soul of refuting these false apostles that are coming with another gospel. I see you standing on the truth, and it's with this patient endurance day in and day out, refuting these false teachers. And you would think these are false teachers that came from outside of them, but as we know through Paul's testimony in Acts that when he left, the wolves would raise up. The false teachers would raise up among them, in their midst. So perhaps these were friends of theirs who were lying about being apostles, lying about having the revelation of God. And so did church of Ephesus tested them. They had the truth of God on their side and they tested those who called themselves apostles and they found them to be false. They took them through the furnace of affliction. They challenged them in their words. They looked upon them day in and day out and part part of this is due to the rich heritage that they had through the saints that God had sent through their life. like Paul, Timothy, and perhaps John, speaking the truth to them. And they stood on it, and they were able to test those who were false. And Jesus says, he sees that they are relying on his name. Lord, Lord of all. To say that in this day is to push directly against Caesar and other lords and dignitaries. He's, they're relying on the name. He said, I know you are enduring patiently. He says again, and bear up for my name's sake. You stand, you're standing up for my name's sake in the face of opposition. And you're not wavering. You have not grown weary. And then verse 6 says that Jesus says, Hey, this you have for you, yet yeah, this you have. You hate the works of the Middle which I also hate. This was another set, another group. Scholars don't know much about them, but they were also false in their personal life and leading people astray. They hated them with a strong hatred, with the hatred of the Lord. Jesus said, I hate them. You hate them like I do. Very strong language as they rely upon the name of Jesus, very patiently for that name. And they did not become tired in doing so. Did you see that in the text? Jesus said, "You have not grown weary." Now, don't you know, like when someone challenges you, you can get red hot, right? And you know your conviction and you want to stand on it, right? You can become upset, and it can become tired. It can become a drag for you to talk about the same thing over and over. Like, have I told you the truth already? Push it against them, but. Jesus said, "They have not grown weary." That is huge, because we know we can get exhausted. We know we are indeed weak and limited. But see, with the truth on your side, with you having the patient endurance, with your focus bent upon the name of Jesus, it sustains you. It carries you. It gives you the type of strength. That you need to keep going, the company of the Holy Spirit, standing with the people in Ephesus, the truth of God on their side. You know, anybody ever read a marathon? You know, I was with a friend the other day. She said, "Yeah, I'm training for a marathon. Like this is the first time ever. Long and coming, and every day getting out there on the road. It's like, who's with you? Well, just me and my brain," she said. And one day she asked her son to run with her. You know, he's around 10, 11 years old. And she was so impressed that he ran five miles. Now, when I was at Leeds, I, I don't think I ran five miles at one time. You know? Uh, that one really became bored out of my mind. But he kept going. Even he walked at times. But he decided, no, I'm gonna finish this with my mom. I'm gonna continue to run. I will continue to persevere here because I want to get to the goal. And indeed, my friend is persevering because she too wants to get to the goal, to finish the marathon. Maybe not in strength, but indeed to persevere and to finish and to be strong in that. And so we have here this church, this church that is enduring, refuting the apostles relying on the name of Jesus all these are good things and then Jesus comes in and he drops the ball the problem the serious problem that they have what is this problem Jesus has something against them he says to them you have abandoned the love you had at first that's a huge problem they abandoned the love they had at first. Some translations say first love. And so we see that indeed their light is still shining. Nothing in the text would say that they are moved away from Jesus. But as they are on the front lines for Jesus, something else is slipping into their heart. It, is, it seems that they are giving up, perhaps, on. Um, pouring out their lives, moving out to be salt and light to those around them, they are becoming an inward focus as they push against the false apostles and stand in front of the name. Now, they're not growing weird in doing it. Just, we got to hold that up because it points to the fact that they're being intentional about not going out being missional for Jesus. Part of how Jesus starts is give evidence uh, indeed of how he wants them to be. He's saying that, hey, I, I'm, I'm walking among you. That's light. Making sure your light is shining. I want you to continue to be the light. But instead, they are focusing on their apologetics more than being missional and taking care of the poor for the widow, the orphan, more than sharing the gospel with their neighbors, maybe in word and deed. They're giving up on this first love of loving Jesus, feeding those who need to be fed, giving a cup of water to someone who's poor. They're giving up on these things, the things that they love to do. Because remember, Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, he explains to them, about the glorious Trinity there. He explains to them that God has saved them by His grace and created them as workmen for God's good works. Everything in that book points to the fact that you're to be solved in life. You're to go out and share the love of Jesus. There needed to be an overflow from their hearts, walking in the manner of love, walking in the manner of Jesus, making melody in their hearts to Jesus, so that there would be an overflow of who they are and what they do, and that is imparting the love of Jesus to anyone they come in contact with, anyone that God will put in their lives. And you see, that's how I think about this, right? Think about the church and the church's mission to continue to go out. After each sermon, Sunday service, to go out and be missional in the world. I just think about what you know. Why why don't we do that as a church? Capital C, right? What what happened here to this church as to the reason they weren't doing these things? Did apathy set in so deeply that they just refused? They thought this is the main thing that we're to be about. So with Jesus coming with such sharp rebuke and conviction. Shows their heart that they refuse to do the things that the Spirit was leading them to do. Perhaps they didn't have the overflow. They weren't focusing on the main thing. As the Apostle said, hey, you need to remember the poor. Don't forget them. Don't forget the least of these. They lost sight of that. So, what does Jesus give them as a solution here? He says, remember therefore from where you have fallen the height of his love the depth of his love that Paul prayed for in their midst remember that God is the one who gave you the apostles the prophets, the evangelists the building up and equipment of the saints so that they could grow up in love there are saints outside the walls of the church as well go out and get them remember the height the excitement that they had when they first believed this happens still to believers. You're on fire for God when you first hear the gospel. You want to tell everybody. That, that was my experience. When, I, when God first brought this news to me, I thought, why, why, why hasn't anyone ever told me this news about this man who died for my sin? I want to spend the rest of my life telling other people about Jesus. That's how good it is. That's how on fire a Christian is when they first believe. They want to tell their mama, tell their dad and their brother, everyone around them about Jesus and how he saves. They want everyone around them to know.